Rabbi Russell, very good to see you. Very good to see you too, Chase. Very good to see you too. My pleasure. Um, I'm sure you're aware of this podcast, this series. It's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Baruch Hashem. Doing something so, very special. I, I, the, the feedback has been tremendous. Um, what, what we're going to do today is a little different because I've been speaking to some of the most respected and accomplished clinicians in the field. And uh, they're not Jewish. Um, and today I wanted to speak about a topic that I felt needs to be... I felt we need to discuss it among us Jews. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because this is not just regular trauma. This is not just trauma that a religious Jewish person has that happens to have happened in a religious Jewish context. This is where the trauma is specifically religious in nature. And pretty well put. Well put. Okay. So you're the expert. I want to listen. I want to learn. Talk to me. Give me my hachnasa leheder. What do we call this thing? What is it? Where does it come from? And what are its effects? Well, it, it's a broad subject. And truthfully, honestly, to do justice to this, this is a course. It's not a podcast. So here we accept the fact that we're going to do Rashi Prokham and just understand what's the concepts. What are we dealing with? What are the, what's the subject? So you could say like this, there is, we're going to talk about, at least that's my understanding, about traumas that relate to the Orthodox Jew that both overwhelm him generationally and more specifically occur within the context of his childhood, his relational development, his life in school, in yeshiva, and what that causes within him, and how it, that is how it affects his core sense of self. See, I've been fighting for decades, for decades, to term what I term learning trauma, that it is in fact trauma. It's not just wounds. It's not just like regular childhood wounds. People go through it. They have a rough time in school, so they're wounded. And they got to, you know, maybe have a little therapy, get over it, some CBT, you'll get over it, you'll move on. And what I recognized early on is that it actually has the hallmark for many people. In fact, I believe that the majority of people coming through our systems have some degree or other of learning trauma, where they actually have a traumatic relationship to their experiences of learning. Once that occurs in a person's life, their experience within their school and home setting is one that they question their sense of self, of adequacy. Do I belong? Am I really a person who's admired? Do I exist? Do I have authenticity? Do I have value within this system that I live in? Can I stop you for one second? Yeah, please. 
Because when you say, do I have value within this system that I live in? It sounds like you're talking very broadly. Like, in other words, a lot of people go to school. They didn't succeed at school. They felt like they were bad students. And so they, they get out of school as quickly as possible. And they go find some other area of life to succeed in. Correct. What it sounds like you're describing is, this isn't just about my schooling. That when there's what you call learning trauma, talk to me about this. Exactly. People say to me, yeah, but in the public school system, people fail there too. And they hate and they're lousy at math and they're terrible at geography and they don't do well scholastically. You know, why is that any different? That's not traumatic. You go on to do something else, sports, whatever, life, business. See, in our world, learning, and I'm talking specifically about the the vast majority of all learning that occurs for our children from when they enter primary kindergarten until they finally, you know, exit the system, wherever it is, 12th grade or base medrash or later seminary, the primary focus is trying to help you internalize the learning to become an orthodox jew it's part of your identity as being a religious jew when you fail in learning the experience of most of the children who, who don't really even realize what's happened to them is that internally i'm questioning whether i even fit or belong here I, I in, judaism. in judaism in judaism as a jew the core essence of a Jewish... I just want to make sure yeah, what yeah, you're yeah. saying. You're not just saying that somebody's going to say, I'll never be a Talmud Chacham. No, 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 it's not about that. It's about the value. If I don't have what's going on, if I can't really grasp, I'm not into the learning, the experience a child has is that, first of all, I'm not really wanted. I'm tolerated. At best, I'm tolerated in this class. You know, there's a word in Yiddish, to kvel. You know, who do we fell over? We fell over the best students, the best academic students. They get felled over. Everybody else gets tolerated. So we have, a, we have something inherent in the system where unfortunately the learning experience for most of the children is one that includes the experience of being traumatized by feeling that I am threatened by the fact that I know I can't do this well. I, look, listen carefully. What is a natural learner? What is a natural learner? Kid goes to school, you would hope they would be able to naturally learn, correct? So what is a natural, it's a kid that goes to school for 12 years, let's say K through 12, and he doesn't need tutoring to keep up, or certainly not extra tutoring, resource rooms, medication, threats, punishments, grounding at night, bribes. He doesn't need any of that to be able to learn well. And at best, at best, we look at 10, maybe 15%, maybe 10% who could get through without all. Now, what does that mean to all the others? What does that mean? So you've got 10% who naturally learn. This is a very enjoyable experience. They're being presented the material, which they can do well. Then you've got about 25% who, for different reasons, have no connection because they are true trauma victims. 
They mean, truly, they have another trauma aside from learning trauma. And once you have any other trauma of any other sort, chances are your prefrontal cortex is offline, and the chances of you learning well is very, very diminished. So they're out. Okay. Then you've got children who actually do have a technical learning disability. And then, Diagnosed or otherwise. That's right. And then you've got everybody else who are trying so hard, but never quite feel they can make it. They're always outside trying to get inside. And, and they need the tutoring and the extra tutoring and the mentoring and the, and the resource rooms and the medications, for heaven's sakes. The medications and, and, and the bribery and the rewarding and the punishments to motivate them. Okay, but I'm going to push back at you for a second. Please, second. please. Because what you're describing, you're saying this is the experience of most students. And I'm saying, yes, this is the experience of most students. What's so traumatizing about it? Yeah, exactly. So right? what's, tra right. what's so traumatizing is like this, that my essence, my being should be that I feel a worthy human being. I feel valued by my parents, by my community, and by God. I should feel that way. I may have to discipline myself, to work on myself, to maintain that. That's true. But I should, at my core essence of who I am, I should feel like a worthy being. I should feel that way. When a child goes through 12 years of school and constantly has the experience of realizing, I'm not cutting it. You see, if you're not cutting it in geography and math, but you can go and do sports or art or something else, no problem. But if you're not cutting it in Limadei Kodesh in school, what does that say to your neshama, your nefesh, about your value as a Jew, as a person? So it's no surprise that people like this grow up always feeling disconnected. Davening is laborious. It's a difficult... Look, let's take it even further. Children who go to school, and there are still schools that will knas, fine, penalize children for not davening properly. Imagine the association you do when a child's given a sitter and he's told to daven and then some very upset, angry-looking person knasses him because he's not looking inside, gives him a fine for not looking inside. What is the association that boy has or girl has to davening? What does davening even mean to them ever again? So later in life, you have adults who find that going to shul is an unbearable experience, and they don't know why. They want to be part of a community, part of a system, but find themselves just nervous and anxious about the idea of going to shul, about being in a shul. But let's broaden it. I want to go way beyond learning trauma, because learning trauma is just one detail. It's a very profound detail that erodes the sense of self, of being a worthy Jew. It's not about being academic. It's not about the academic piece at all. If we're teaching you Judaism and halachas and Torah, and, and meanwhile you're getting the experience daily that you're failing, you're not good enough. You don't know enough. You're, that what That's internalized is I'm not worthy enough. Now let's add to that. Let's add to that, for example, generational Holocaust trauma. On top of that, that unfortunately, as it plays out through the generations, again, we can give, this is a course, it's not a, you know, I, I, 
to focus on this, we're looking at reactions to life where parents then govern their chinuch of their children through a reaction to the Nazis are coming and I'm going to protect you and take care of you where in fact what I'm doing is frightening you or controlling you from some terror that actually doesn't exist, that isn't there. But generationally, that's how I was brought up, either overly controlled and overly sheltered by anxious parents who seem to be worried about something and I'm not sure what that is, so that I become that same person either angrily reacting to my parents or also becoming that anxious, controlling kind of person, frightened of life with a dread that I don't really know what it's about. Or we have the, you know, the we don't kiss, you know, where love doesn't exist, mere cushion dish, you know, we don't kiss. After two years old, we don't kiss. You know, the, the, if we can imagine just the loss of loved ones, what that felt like, which we can't imagine, it is unimaginable, where a generation of people, amongst them, survival meant shutting down love. Responsibility, yes. Achrayas, yes. Caring, yes. Clothing, yes. But not love. Not love in the deepest sense. Not love of affection and caring that a human being needs to grow. And then that gets passed on culturally. You know, we don't kiss. We don't kiss. So you have a background of Holocaust trauma that surrounds our community deeply and profoundly where people's hanhagas and behaviors are informed by surviving the Holocaust that doesn't exist now, three generations later, and yet people are still behaving that way, where children are brought up wondering, what is it I'm meant to be scared of? Or why am I not loved? What is missing? And I don't know, but I know I'm empty and I'm missing inside. Take those same children and put them in an environment where most of them are going to, going to experience learning trauma at some point in their journey. And they'll experience, unfortunately and tragically, learning trauma from the finest and best of our community. Mechanchim, the Rabbanim, the finest and the best. Most wonderful people, caring, mean, well-meaning people who completely are unaware, totally unaware, the way they're motivating the children is actually destroying the children. It's not helping them at all. And in fact, it's making them feel, most of the kids feel disconnected from the whole system, where they can't wait to get out, they can't wait to leave it. Now add to that. Wait, hold on now. I'm just trying to keep track. Okay. So one trauma is the learning trauma. Then there's another trauma which you're saying is intergenerational, which is maybe even transmitted by well-intending educators who themselves are dealing with their own trauma. Absolutely. There's a third one I'm going to come to now. Okay. And now you're going to add a third factor. Yes, I am. The third one is families. We're living in an environment where, you know, as a Jewish nation, we want the best for our kids, technically. (laughs) What does that actually mean? It means we want the best shidduchim, we want the best yeshivas, we want the best outcome for our children. 
And we're focusing, unfortunately, with enormous pressure where if you actually talk to children and talk to young adults, their experience is, this wasn't about me. This was about my parents feeling satisfied and glad and proud that this is my children. And it was, I hate to say it, but they're my nachos machine. Their job is to do a good shidduch so I can feel good about myself. It's not conscious. Chas v'sham. I don't believe people actually consciously feel that. But we're motivated by this, you know, chanoich na'apidake should tell us and inform us, take a look at your child and see what they need to thrive. Whereas, unfortunately, and there's a lot of reasons why this happened, and this isn't the place to debate it or discuss it, I don't think. But what's happened is, is how do we make our kids be the best of the best, with the best shidduchim and the best shtela and the best life and the best of the best, which sounds great in theory, but in practice, doesn't reflect the truth about who the children really are. What we really should be looking at is what's good for them. That's what, what's good, what I believe should be, you know, the product that I have this child, where they should be in yeshiva and, and what kind of shidduch they should do, which was more about me than them. I'll show you an example of what I mean. Okay. A parent takes, a father takes his child to shul with him, little kid. And I see this all the time and it breaks my heart. You see, a father brings his kid to shul at a young age, seven, eight, nine. There's always one kid who davens like, you know, he's like a Gilgal from some Helega Tzadik, from Friedrich Adairis, and he's six, seven years old, and he is davening like, whoa! It's a, and all the other fathers are eating their hearts out, watching this one kid and this one father who's having nachas from that one kid. So what's davening look like to them? Is davening, they're standing there davening, nudging their kid, the no, 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 nudging the whole time their kid to daven, fully unaware that what you're actually doing is humiliating your kid and turning him against being in shul, creating an anxiety experience of being in shul, an anxiety experience of davening, that if you do it enough and you do it fiercely enough, the kid ends up traumatized where his experience in life later on, and countless, countless parents know this, adults know this, that the thought of being, the, when they go to shore, they can't be in a middle pew. They can only be on an edge. They can only be on the back. They don't even want to go. I know people who will find any terrorists not to be there at all, because the experience of being there activates them where they're, they're going to start having an anxiety attack. See, if you look at, what, what are we talking about with trauma? Single event trauma, single event, which we all understand, is very different to what we're talking about here. This is complex trauma. This is a multitude of micro traumas, each one on its own. If I would describe it, you'd say, no, no, that's going to hurt him. But that's not what happens. What happens is you have a constellation of micro traumas cumulatively from the Holocaust generational type traumas, the learning traumas that could happen every day, kids say it's Gehenim every day in school, the father, you know, even benching at the table on Shabbos is traumatic for some kids because of the intensity of desire of the parents to force them to bench. The, the, the Parsha sheets at the table 
can traumatize children who are terrified to come and don't want to be there because they're going to be humiliated because they just don't know and they don't remember. And they're going to feel, they'll see the look of disappointment. What do you think it feels like to a child to see that frustrated, disappointed look in a father's eyes that more or less say, what a waste of my tuition. You're a waste of my tuition. Now, what are you here for? Like, <laughs> what, what am I paying all this money for? If you to analyze how bizarre that is to a child's internal world, like, I don't exist. I, I don't have to exist. I'm there. Like, you're paying tuition for me, and you're frustrated because I'm a disappointment to your tuition. So I don't have a Matthias other than pleasing you. In single event trauma, the DSM says as follows, a person having who's traumatized, who's got PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? They, they went through a trauma. They will have a severe psychological reaction. It means they freak out at exposure to internal or external cues that symbolize or resemble an aspect of the original trauma. It means they, had, they were bitten by a dog when they were five. You know, a pack of dogs came and they got bitten. So for the rest of your life, anything dog-like, sounds like a dog, looks like a dog, they'll, they're likely to have a severe psychological reaction because they're exposed to an internal or external cue that symbolizes or resembles an aspect of the original trauma, which was the dog attack. Does that make sense? Yeah, so sure. Now, imagine in micro-trauma, in complex trauma, you have literally tens of thousands of experiences of being overly controlled, overly anxious, where I don't exist, remember? Where I feel I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a person, I'm not worthy. Every time in class, you know, I, I, I get called on and I read and I get it wrong and I get the look and the chuckles and the laughter from the other kids and I feel stupid because I can't do it properly. And I get the disappointed look in my father's eyes. Those cumulative experiences will make me feel like I don't exist. I'm not worthy. I'm not a person. And they will throw me offline. I need to disconnect from that. And yeah, I'll have a severe psychological reaction eventually and just be fed up with it. And I'll get nailed for that too. And I'll be blamed for that too. And yelled at and screamed at for that too. So I'm having a life of micro traumas being triggered all the just reading just davening you know someone says are you up for davening i hear the word davening i start having a panic attack micro traumas that occur in the religious world in this sugya called complex trauma you end up needing fight or flight or freeze you've just got to escape and you go offline you're not here you go offline just with single like the single event trauma you go offline and how are you meant to function now when you're offline? And then you get blamed for that too. You're not paying attention. You're not focusing. You're not listening. You're not listening. It occurs at the Shabbos table, the Yontif table. You know, Erev Pesach in a family where everyone's freaking out and kids are being told how lazy they are and why you're sleeping and why you're helping. You're not worthy. You're not useful. You're not valuable. This is all as a Jewish person because it's Pesach we're talking about. A knife gets falls on the floor and a kid unwittingly picks it up and starts using it. Someone freaks out. Hamid, it's Hamid. And they start screaming and get furious with you. 
They could say to you, Shefala, let's not put the, you know, we don't, let me explain to you about Hamid. Why not? But that anxious anger that's all about religion, apparently religious life, according to the experience of that child, is horrible, it's frightening. And it's certainly not something I feel connected to or want. On the other hand, I do want it. And I do want to be part of it. How do I assimilate those experiences? So I go offline. I push go offline because I can't handle it. I can't deal with it. And like I said, when you go offline, you get blamed for that too. You get severely criticized for that too. You're late for davening. You don't want to be in shul. Why not? Obviously, you're not from. It's, it's so insidious because it takes the core essence of who I am of who I am as a person, as a Jewish person, and it devalues that essence. Talk about safe, secure, seen, and soothed. It's none of the above. It's none of the four essences. There's no attachment. And these people then want to get married and have children be part of it. This is our world. This is our community. This is where I want to be. And yet I feel disconnected and lonely. I don't feel worthy. And I don't know why I have to hide it. And I walk around with shame, terrible shame inside. Terrible shame. All right. So first of all, thank you for giving me that picture of that. First of all, the difference between the complex trauma and the single event trauma. Uh, because when, you know, you're right when you say these are micro traumas. So when you take any one of them, people hear it and they're like, well, what, what's the big deal? Like, no, right. no, no, no. Like, right, get over it. Um, but what you've painted is a picture of sort of like this all-encompassing pervasive tension or the stress that it sounds like you're saying it colors the person's whole experience of Yiddishkeit experience, in, it colors their entire identity as a Jew Correct. and okay so it, it just basically it, it, it ruins everything and, 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 you, and you described three aspects of it one aspect was the learning trauma like why aren't you learning why can't you learn why, why, why aren't you a natural learner which like you said most kids aren't the second part of it you said was that intergenerational stuff that that you know that Holocaust trauma or that 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 the tension that's even passed on by well-meaning educators who are dealing with their own trauma? Okay, and then the third thing you mentioned, the severe social pressure, the severe social pressure of what you call being the nachas machine of living up to certain expectations and 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 you know the whole insular community is watching you, you're in the fishbowl, you're expected to, to succeed according to a certain script. Okay, so you painted a very, very vivid picture of why a person would just be uncomfortable, profoundly uncomfortable. Okay, fine, I got that, I got that. I wanna, because we don't have uh, a lot more time, I wanna just reorient you now. For, first of all, I, I, I know that you were at Fresh Start in Detroit, Michigan, and, right. you, and you were training the staff, and you saw the people who were coming through, both the men's group and the women's group. Could you do me one favor? Describe for me, because you described the story, how it came to this point. Now give me a snapshot. I'm looking at an adult who's 30, who's 40, who's 50. Give me the snapshot what their present looks like as a result of this whole backstory that you just described. Excellent, excellent. Well, actually, we made a, a commitment to do a bit of an experiment at Fresh Start. 
and specifically not introduce from our point of view religious trauma, learning trauma, spiritual. We, we made a decision. We're not going to introduce it and we're going to see what happens. You're going to pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, we're, we're just not going to talk about it. We're not going to bring it up. We're going to watch right. what happens. And okay. incredibly, not to me, I was not shocked at all, but incredibly, it went immediately to this place where the men there were talking about their disconnect to shawl and their pain and loss, their sense of loss and confusion. Why I don't want to go and go on time and be there. And, and, and they're feeling these, you know, everyone wants it. That's the fascinating thing. You know, deep down, we're all hidden and we want this. We want to be part of this. But it's so unbearable to want to be part of it and find that somehow something inside of you sees it as a threat to walk into shawl. It sees it as a threat to open a siddha and daven, to go to a shear. You know, I want to go to a shear and participate somewhere, and I have no idea why, but I have this feeling of dread. You know what the most heartbreaking example to me is? Go ahead. The father whose child comes to him and wants to do homework. Absolutely. Are you kidding? And the father can't overcome his own trigger to learn with his child. I have countless clients of mine who said this to me have cried with me with the shame you cannot imagine the depth of their shame to realize i can't do homework with my kid because i'm embarrassed i'm embarrassed about the fact i really don't think i know it don't know how to do it and i feel full of anxiety just sitting there then what happens is They'll find the hire a tutor and they'll find the terror and the wife will be upset with him. And why don't you do it? You're meant to be a father. And they come up with like excuses, but it's really defensive excuses. And then comes the severe psychological reaction, the anxiety. And all they want to do is run away and escape. They just want to run away and escape. That's where they go offline. You see, trauma is all about being offline and repairing from trauma. Recovering from trauma is about being present, is being here in the moment, is being connected with my life, my experiences with davening, my experiences with mitzvahs. You know how many, <laughs> when you're traumatized, you may go through the mitzvahs. It's like you have no idea what you're doing. And in fact, as people have said, putting on tefillin, it feels like it's burning on my arm. I don't, I want to get it on and off. And I don't know why. I have no clue why. Because the connection to it makes me feel humiliated and shamed. And it's that shame that, that binds a person where they can't function properly. And then they get blamed for that too. It, it, they're always blamed for that too. Okay. So in the remaining time I have with you, I want to put out some hope. I want to put out a message of hope. You described a vivid picture of the past, how it leads up to an adult who is, you know, struggling in life. You, 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 picked, you, you gave us a picture of the present, you know, like how someone would present themselves when they come into a program like Fresh Start. Talk to me about the future. Talk to me about what it looks like in the best case scenario when, when there's healing. And how does it happen? And what does it look like when it happens? 
You see, what it looks like it had worth. What it really looks like is for us to learn to, in terms of recovery, in terms of recovery for those already damaged. It means learning how to be present, how to be here in the moment, how to let go of my shame and stop devaluing myself and realize that the circumstances of my life orchestrated those feelings within me. And that, in fact, I can repair that and see myself as an unbelievably valuable asset to Klaalisol. And I can be defined as a person, a healthy, gesunter part of Klaalisol, a person who's worthy in the eyes of Hashem, which I don't feel. That's what recovery is, is coming back to that place to see that in myself and to value and realize I can love myself and realize Hashem loves me too. In the remaining moments you have with me, talk to me as a parent. What can I do for my child? Parent has to know this. Do whatever you call chinuch. I have no problem, whatever you think it is. But don't do anything if you're not doing it lovingly. Just do it with love. Whatever you want to encourage your child to learn, encourage your child to dive and teach them a mitzvah, whatever you're doing, you do it with love or better you don't do it. The, the real answer, the real answer is that, you see, we could have school systems and clearly so on, take kids to shul, but what a world of difference if you have your kid in, in shul and you tell him, Shefala, daven as much as you can. Whatever you do, Hashem will appreciate. And next week, maybe you'll do more. Don't worry. Do the best you can. You're meant to do your avoidance. What do I have to nudge him for to do everything? Why do I have to force the kids to feel embarrassed? You know, why don't we do, like, get rid of the Pasha sheets. Or ask the youngest kid and ask anyone else. If you want to add, feel free. You don't have to if you don't want to. See, Tyra, Tyra, we have one statement about Vahavta Larecha Kamaicha. Love your neighbor, right? What does it mean, You know, it means, it doesn't say Zeh Mitzvah Gadol It says Zeh Klal Godel You know what it means? It means that every mitzvah, the whole Torah, has to be looked at in the framework of So I don't mind if we teach and educate and help and do all that we're doing, but within the framework of love, of love. So we encourage people with love and we help people feel loved. So then this goes away and we don't need fresh start. Love is the vehicle through which we can change this. So we can do chinuch, we can do discipline, we can do education, we can do everything we want to do with our children and help them. But we do it through the vehicle of love. I don't know how else to say it. It's very clear. It's, it's very, very clear. And um, there will probably be people who have questions um, and require further clarification. But you're willing to come back on with me again. Yes? Chase, you know it's a pleasure always to talk to you. Okay. Fantastic. So I look forward to our next meeting. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Be well.